You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. 40 years or old. This is a right, enough. <laughs> enough already. Enough. <laughs> what do you want our intro to be? What? What do you the, want the intro to be? The Sultan of Swing. <laughs> That's what I want to be called. I got a better one for today. From Yerushalayim, this is Emeritus Rex. Yes, I am in Yerushalayim. Ha ha, you're not. But <laughs> from Coach St. Luke, Best Israel, but I can't even Where get it. Dru- I'm in the Jerusalem of Quebec. Yes, yes. I, almost, I, sound like, in Quebec. I sounded like Sylvester from Tweety Bird. But, <laughs> Beth Israel, Beth Aaron, Beth Israel, Beth Aaron, suffering succotash itself. Coat, coat St. Luke. I should be interviewing you today on your impressions of Israel. You haven't been there in like 30 years. I mean, yes, yes. I don't know if you're capable of interviewing anyone. Do you want to try? No, I'm not capable of it. I'm not you are not capable. No, it has to listen to someone else. I don't know how to do that. You, you cannot do that. You no, cannot do I'm that. I'm not capable. Okay, so I, I'm only on the output, not the input. I can't do. The, I know. I'm really not. <laughs> All right, listen. I am at. I am at the, uh, the central place of the universe, so to speak. Also, the we know that what's happening is. Although you, despite the fact that I've been in your Shalayim for the last 17 days, or in Eretz Yisrael, um, you know what's happening. I've seen the. I've seen the placards. I've read some of the reports. I've heard some of the. There's news. an election coming up, and on November the first next week, on I think it's Tuesday, November first. Yes, yes, Tuesday. Yes, Tuesday, yes, November first. There's supposed to be an election. Uh, Thirty-nine parties are running for the 120 seats of Israel's parliament, better known as the Knesset. Probably ten or eleven will cross the electoral threshold into the Knesset, which means 3.25% of the vote. And uh, we will once again then witness the jockeying to form coalitions. This is the fifth election in three and a half years. Israelis apparently love to vote. They do so on a regular basis. And we've had frozen elections mostly over the last uh, three and a half years. uh, as as you know, Bennett, Lapid, they they were they've been in office for about about a year now, a little more, and uh, now we're headed for another election because uh, Bennett's uh, and Lapid's government collapsed, and now an election has been called. Um, Let me tell you, I've seen uh, the placards and the posters, and there's a sign of Bibi similar to the pose that Uncle Sam took that I want you, and he says, and he points to like he's pointing straight at someone, and he's saying. With you, I could get sixty-one. <laughs> like he knows, like he knows that it's so razor thin. Well, he, here's the thing: if you step back from this moment, you realize, and it's a humbling realization, and we should all take a lesson from it, which is the is, Israel. You know, was um, was well known for having uh, difficulty <laughs> in elections, meaning getting somebody who has a real mandate and a stable mandate. So Israel implemented a couple of things over the last 20 years to make stability more likely, both of which undermined stability. So, you know, human hubris is really unlimited. They thought they had solutions for the problems, and the solutions they implemented only made things worse. The first solution they came up with 
was direct election for a prime minister. You remember Ariel Sharon, right? They were directly elected. The idea was if you directly elect the prime minister, then you will, he will have more of an independent mandate and it'll have be more of a stable government. What happened was you, they made the terrible mistake of uh, giving Jews a choice. Meaning I could walk into the polling booth and I wouldn't have to decide between my security concerns and my religious concerns, for instance. So I could vote for the Likud prime minister to satisfy my security aspirations, but then vote for Shas or somebody else for my religious aspirations. In other words, you get you got you gave people an option, so that all that did was embolden the smaller parties because they they were Yates design already. They already fulfilled their their obligations to security by voting, you know, that that way. Anyway, I don't want to get into it because it's yesterday's news, but that increased, in fact, the vote for smaller parties rather than decreasing it, thereby increasing instability. So the last solution they had was, which was pretty reasonable, they thought, let's raise the threshold to get it together from 2% to 3.25%, so that'll get rid of the smaller parties. And th- in fact, that made things worse. And this is very interesting, and I, this isn't really my idea. This, I, I realized it was an election, and I was reading somebody in Israel who wrote this very persuasively, that what's happened now is the whole thing is a battle to get to 3.25. In other words, force the small parties, right, to, to come together so that no right-wing votes are wasted on the right and no left-wing votes are wasted on the left. So force Smotritz and Ben Gavir to be together. So Ben, you know, so you're not wasting votes, yeah. right? Well, you know, one second, Israelis know what you're talking about. Let's mention about who these two guys are right now. Okay, so Smotritz is the head of the, the NRP, Ben, ben Gavir is a disciple of Kahana, a right-wing uh, firebrand, who, ha- who, who instead of running independently, is now running uh, as part of the religious Zionist uh, uh, slate. In this way, they, the right, right now, on the right, the reason Bibi has a clear advantage walking into this election is because his natural allies, meaning Charedim and parties to the right of Likud, his natural allies, have unified. In other words, none of them are at risk of dropping below the threshold. That means Shas will cross the threshold, Aguda will, will, will cross the threshold, and the National Religious uh, Zionists, the National Religious Party will cross the threshold. They're actually the not going to just cross the threshold because of this um, fusing of Otsmat Yehudit. Right, right. They actually are, are slated to pick up, I think, thirteen. Right, they're all going to they're all going to be okay. They're all going to be okay, but more than okay. And on the left, however, there are parties that now, for the first time, are in the polls as not crossing the threshold. Even Merits and Labor are are are, are close. I mean, everyone thinks at the end of the day they're going to cross, but they actually are, are pretty close to not crossing right now. And also, there's an Arab party, but a lot of that may not cross. So. And remember, whenever a party doesn't cross, okay, what happens to those votes? What happens is that benefits the people that win because that ups their, in other words, once they're out of the picture, you put everyone back in the pot again, and the number of Knesset members you get per vote, you know, increases. You know what I mean? So, so, so what, what, so if Balad loses, that helps Bibi. So, um, cause their share goes up. The percentages drop and the shares go up. So the point is that right now, any reasonable person would predict either one of two things, another deadlock where BB has 60, but no more, 
or Bibi actually getting to 61. It's remarkable how stable, in many ways, the votes have been. I, right, and, and as I as I started us out today with one, this is one seat. That's what everything is is really dealing with. With just that one seat, and and it's almost like not in the backroom politics. Everybody in the country knows. But Lapid, who is the number one competitor, his according to the polls, and again the polls have been remarkably wrong in the past. So you know, but according to the polls, Lapid is way up. But he's not taking votes away from Bibi. He's taking votes away from Labor and Merits. So it's so um, it, which only hurts him in the end because Lapid can't form a government if if merits and labor don't cross the threshold. So um, it's a very complicated situation. Uh, what Israel needs, I, I is, want before you, you know, uh, hold forth on what Pupko thinks right. Israel needs. I do want to tell you that I have I, I did read the uh, the Friday papers last week. And I read an article by Irv Greenberg, and you know, of course, Irv and Blue Greenberg. Um, it's yeah, Yitz Greenberg, same person. Yeah. So, so Yitz Greenberg uh, wrote an article uh, describing how the National Religious Party is not really the National Religious Party. They are not the religious party of the past. They are adopting um, right. very, very negative, uh, prejudicial, um, anti. Uh, anti-humanistic positions, which have not been what the Mizrahi stood for in the past, and it's not what these, and not what the Chazal stand for, and he is telling people not to vote for them in the, again, the Jewish... Right, no, no, there's no question, listen, when you were young, many years ago, the National Religious Party was run by people like Yosef Borg, Zerich Varhaftik, right, people of, who are moderate, um, and 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 highly civilized and highly intelligent, uh, the National Religious Party today, by embracing Ben Gavir, has certainly uh, strayed from its roots. There's no question. Uh, in other words, classic liberalism, which believed in a robust democracy, and robust parliament, and robust judiciary, these are all things that Ben Gavir has no patience for. Right. Ben Gavir is. He's a Gullish Jew. What I mean by that is he thinks we have to make a point, right? We have to make a point where we're preying on Harabayat. has to make a point that, you know, this. Has to make a po- People who make points are living in Lodz, right? Israel's a country. It's been a country for, for, for three quarters of a century. It's a wonderful country, a robust economy, robust educational. Everything's doing great in Israel. And this guy's worried about making points for Gentiles or Arabs. He doesn't need to make points. You exist. You're thriving. You're flourishing. You don't have to make any points. And Ben Gavir is living obsessed with making points. He's a student of Kahana. And uh, Kahana did some great things when he was in New York in terms of shoring up the defenses of embattled neighborhoods. But again, he was a Gullish Jew. I mean, we're out of Gullish. Let, let me paraphrase something that um, that Yitz wrote. And I thought it was the only thing that I thought was original and interesting. And I want to uh, pass it by you. It's in the Jerusalem Post from last Friday. You could see it yourself. Yitz tainted that the type of intolerance that Ben Gvir um, evinces towards the homosexual community or the LGBTQ community is a contradiction to Chazal because Chazal have an idea called Loyeg Rosh, 
And we know what that is, of course, based on the Gemaras and the Shulchan Aruch, is that you can't go into a cemetery showing right, right. You can't do mitzvahs. Let me just explain for the people who don't know. You can't do mitzvahs in front of people who, are, who aren't alive because they are powerless. And in a way right. you are... So therefore, Yitzsteiners, that because gays cannot change who they are because of the brain science or whatever it was that indicates that you are forced to live a gay life when you're gay, when you attack them and you criticize them, it, it's, it's against Chazal and it's called Leig V'Rosh. Now this to me sounded very petty and ridiculous. However, it seems that part of what Greenberg and others were saying is, is that how can we support a party, not because they're anti-Arab, because they're anti Gay yeah, listen, I, listen, gay as you know, listen, it's, two, it's 2022. Uh, how one th- treats the gay community has become a litmus test for many. You see the kerfuffle uh, in, in, in university today. Um, listen, Israel is a remarkably robust and wonderful country, but it's also remarkably divided. There are many people in Israel who, ge- who geographically are in the Middle East, but who spiritually are in the West. These are, these are Olim, who are uh, products of Western Europe and North America, or Israelis who are educated and inclined that way. We, you, know, you don't have to be an American to be an American in, in, in thinking, and, and see classic liberalism as the way to go. And today in 2022, included in being a liberal is certainly being tolerant uh, not just tolerant, but inclusive of the gay community. And then there are others who, who have come to Israel from places that were never touched by uh, uh, the democratic norms of Western civilization, who don't understand having the power to ban something you don't like and not using it. That would that very idea would make their brains explode. Um, and what I think everyone should come to realize is that ad bias goyal, whether you believe in democracy or not, whether you believe in the institutions of you know balance, you know of, of democracy, or you disdain them, the only way to work out a peaceful existence together is through democracy. That's the only way this is going to work, right? You have people with very different ideas of what a Jewish state is for and what a Jewish state should look like. The only way to keep peace is to enforce democratic norms, which include minority rights. Which include many things, and uh, and, and and what which has, which has come to include many things because of the Western influence. Absolutely, the fact, the fact that there needs to be complete and total equality for gay marriages, gay unions, or whatever you're going to call that, that now becomes, as you are saying, uh, an idea of what a democratic state is. Let's not say that it's not okay, but that's not necessarily what religious Zionism is That's religious Zionism. If you, if, in other words, if you told me that religious Zionism has gone off the rails because they embraced Ben Gavir, that I can understand. If you tell me they've gone off the rails because of homophobia, that I don't buy. It's not a significant enough issue in Israel. That's not really the problem. And gay marriage is not an issue. And there's no civil marriage in Israel, for God's sakes. So that's not an issue. Listen, if if the religious parties in Israel, if the religious communities in Israel, and here's what the right wing doesn't understand. Let's go back to Gaza. Let's take an example. Right Between 1967 and 2004, right, we had... 30 odd years, uh, close to 40 years 
of control of Gaza. You had 40 years to convince Israelis that Gaza was crucial to Israel's security. You had 40 years to convince Israelis to move to Gaza. And after 40 years, you managed to convince 3,000 families to live in Gaza and convince nobody outside the settler community that Gaza was vital for Israel's security. So instead of calling Arik Sharon a traitor for going out, why don't you think for a minute, what did you do for 40 years to make the case? Make the case, right? Make the argument. Make the argument for Yehuda and Shomron, right? Win elections. Convince voters. Instead of screaming traitor and treason and hedonism and gays and everything else, make the case. Why can't they simply make the case? And right now, Yehuda and Shomron is secure, not because of anything a politician did, but because of things the terrorists did. Right, the terrorists convinced Israel you need the West Bank. This last intifada convinced them that if you give up, and, and, and Hamas convinced them you need the West Bank. Right, but the case has to be made. Right, and instead of screaming and yelling and calling names, make an argument. But Israel's political system is not conducive to that because there are no electoral districts, and the whole country is one electoral district. Instead of trying to argue your case district by district to different constituencies, all you have to do is find your most likely voters, whether they be in Matula or somewhere between Matula and Eilat, and go ahead and find them. And you put together and you put together a, you know, a significant voting uh, Knesset block based on, on cherry-picking your voters rather than having to make an argument. And Israelis have lost the ability to make an argument. All, all Bibi can say about Lapid is he's with the left. He joined the Arabs. Right and what again? You know, make an argument. Explain why. One of the posters that I see uh, emblazoned here has a picture of the four leaders of the last coalition, and saying, like, in a very dark, like, there's a dark uh, aspect hovering over them, saying, "You don't want this again. You don't want no. This shall not happen again." It's, a, and, it's and, great. And, they, and, the, and the right wing can't point to a single left wing thing this government did, except maybe the last couple of weeks, the Lebanon deal. Not a single. All they can point to is they joined Arabs, and everybody in Israel remembers what happened. It was Bibi who opened negotiation with Arab parties. It was Bibi who begged the Arab parties to join Likud in, in, in creating a government. Everyone knows that. Let, let me give you some observations now that you've ranted a little bit. I want to give you some observations from my visit here, from what I've observed. Number one is, and we'll, talk, we'll start from the last thing you mentioned, and we'll, we'll work out outward. And I'm sure you have what to comment about it. So I'm interviewing myself. So basically, the thing is, is that we have Arabs everywhere. No, again, not just the Arabs that are this sort of demonic uh, presence. They're everywhere. They're in every single grocery store that I do. I went to shop in Gushemunim, uh, and I, I, I was in the Arab store. A, a cute little story. My son wanted me to get potato, different types of kugels for him. The Arabs that were stocking the store, and the manager had no idea what a kugel was. I took out my cell phone. I point. I wrote kugel in. I showed him that. No, we don't got that. Right? So you know, the Arabs basically are, in many ways, the an infrastructure that is crucial for the city. Uh, and when I stopped, here's a cute story. When I stopped on my trip from uh, from the north 
uh, down uh, to where I'm staying, I stopped at a, um, at a Joe's. Maybe you've been, you've stopped at Joe's. Gimel Vov Yud, Pastor Joe's. And, and I, I was hungry because I hadn't eaten in a number of hours. And there was two Arab women that were behind the counter. And, and they said what they usually do when someone comes in is you take what you buy from, from the rack and they will put it into the toaster. And there's a chalavi and a basari toaster. And the Arab girls open it and put this thing in there and they give it to the from people that are going to eat it. Anyway, it turned out that our Arab lady... Um, took my cheese sandwich and put it into the Fleshik toaster. So we said, no, no, you can't. We told you, no, it's the other one. Okay, so she said, you know what I'm going to do? I'll just take this and put it now into the Milchik toaster. No, don't do that. Because if you put it into the Milchik toaster, you're taking something that's become drape and you're making that drape. They basically were the ones that were in charge of giving out kosher food, in other words. Not only, right? So they are everywhere. And in many ways, and they don't seem sullen and angry. They're doing their job. They're schmoozing. Oh, yeah, you got to give Bibi a lot of credit for that. No, because there's no question that over the last 10 years, the place of Israeli Arabs has certainly improved. Uh, their education, their, their, everything has gotten better. You go, you go to any hospital, in, uh, majority of pharmacists in Israel are Arab. I mean, it's, they, of course, they're integrated completely. Right, and, and they aren't necessarily radiating hatred of towards all the Jewish customers. No, We're, over the years, they're more, they feel more and more Israeli. Look, I was talking with, the, I, I said, in fact, I told the Arab girl there, I saw her, she was eating McDonald's food. And I said, I asked her, I said, I said, this McDonald's is not halal. Right. Said, oh, oh, yo, it is, it is. I said, no, I don't think so. Because, you know, the McDonald's that are kosher. Are, are you, why, are you, why are you bothering people? <laughs> These are my podcast moments that I can talk about. I'm not bothering them. But I said, she loved it. We were talking about halal. We're talking about, is the, is the McDonald's kosher or not? No, but you, you're, you're honestly, you're talking like you're from Mars. If you've been, if you have, you've been in Israel a little more recently, you would not be shocked to see this. When, when Rabin was taken in to the hospital after he was shot, he was treated by an Arab doctor. Okay? That's the reality of Israel. The, 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 the Israel of the past is way gone. The Arabs are completely and fully integrated in ways they haven't been. They, they weren't 10 and 20 years ago. Right. So, so I think that's something which our listeners need to know. And I've seen it from my observations. And right. I, think, I think the idea of that threat to explode at any moment has, has been a little bit ameliorated. No, no, but the point is, what did happen troubling was in May 2021, during the last significant uh, conflict with Gaza, there were outbreaks of violence in the streets and Arab communities. And the problem is a guy like Ben Gavir is pouring kerosene on that fire. Okay, by questioning the loyalty and all of this. Listen, no one can, you're not going to expect Israeli Arabs, you know, to become Zionists. But they are, as you say, generally satisfied with their place in the Middle East, living in Israel. They understand the benefits of being in Israel. Are you going to get the heartfelt patriotism? No. Are you going to get law-abiding Arab citizens, absolutely. But a guy like Ben Gavir can light a match. Especially if they see this, and again, this is the obvious that I'm saying, but if you see the squalid sites of Gaza and you compare it 
to even a city which is considered... Every Palestinian knows that if you're lucky enough to have a, a permission to live in Israel, your life is better than almost anywhere else. Well, in the of course. Of course. When I was... I walked on the Tayelet in Ashkelon and went down to the marina. It's so beautiful. Can it be... Can, can the Arab voices really be saying, we need to destroy this? We need to eliminate this? This is such a wonderful thing that the Arabs can share in and can be part of. Right. <laughs> They can be part of that. Let's talk a little bit before we close here about some other observations. We mentioned we mentioned Ariel Sharon. We mentioned, of course, um, uh, Bibi. Which, but we mentioned some of those people in the past. Whether it's Barack, which he doesn't get one, but all the all these dead generals that in their lifetime were vilified, are now in a way immortalized by these wonderful. We talked about this off pod. These wonderful swift moving highways in Yerushalayim and in Haifa and other places. I'm so happy that I'm going on Arik Sharon, the Arik Sharon Expressway, the Golda Meir Expressway, the Begin. By the way, I, I believe it is the names of streets and highways in Israel that is the number one cause for all the car accidents. <laughs> because they're very distracting. I mean, when Begin crosses, you know, uh, Bialik Street, you know, those are very conflicting personalities. Right, but, so but, I believe if they need to get like Streets named for trees like maple and oak. No, no, I, 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 what I see there is almost like a second life for these embattled old Jews. They now live as sweet. you're so cynical. The Begin Highway. Who doesn't want to go on that with great pride? Come on. Yeah, of course, that's what I mean. Yeah. And I'm saying when 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 you see the, the, what has been done in terms of the construction of these roads. These, and again, the appellation is, maybe it's Arik Sharon Road, maybe it's going to be Shimon Paris Road, but these are incredible things that I... Now, the country is remarkably this fantastic. When I drove up to Nahariya 10 years ago to see the great Sadiq David Abu Chatzera, I went on the most rickety, scary Arab right, road. Now it's all better. Now, now Route 4, it's got full of, it's a four-lane with strip malls, and, uh, you know, I, I, it really is incredible what they, they have continued right, to do. Which build. is why everyone who wants a Haredi government should be frightened. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you something else. I, I, I have been hanging around a number of Bate Medrash. Every single one houses a Kailo. Every single one has some sort of Kailo there. And, 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 and a father of a, of a number of these Kolo boys said to me, they couldn't do this in America. There's no way they could do this. Only in Eretz Yisrael are they able to sit and learn. And they are, they, they, throughout Yerushalayim and throughout Kiryat Gat, where I was, and many other communities, every little base madrash houses a koilo that I've seen. And with the best svarim. Not just some tattered old books that they were able to bring from some Seamus. Right. They've got... And this is an incredible thing. Where and obviously the Medina has helped pay for all this. Of course, these guys get stipends from it. Yeah. You've, now you've you've talked about this here on this program, but I have now been you know every little place I happen to wander into, I see the evidence of this. And this, of course, is is the greatness of what this country has been able to do, despite all the haranguing and and anger. So let, let, let's let's close off today, uh, Ralph, with um, still mad. You bet on BB getting 61, yeah. You would bet on that. You don't think it's going to be another standoff? It's either a, listen, Lapid can't put together. Lapid will not have 60. 60. I, will tell, I will tell you that 
what's interesting is, you know, and again, you know, I'm a, a sociologist and a podcaster and I observe things in a strange way. I see what Peter does not smile in any of his posters. No smiling whatsoever. He, he and he's a good looking guy. I mean, he no, I think he's trying to come across as a serious person. I think anyway, I don't know. Time will tell. Yes, yes. So, I, and I can imagine his handler saying that, that right. that's how perhaps you can win. Right, right. Look, we have to, of course, I hope, look, I hope that, that the Rabbani Shalom gives the best counsel to whoever is able to uh, form a government. A government, hopefully. I know, I know that whatever will be formed, I know that here at Emeritus Rex, that the, that you will be watching and thinking and being ready at a moment's notice to be able to advise and consent uh, any new government that arises. I, I, I am sure. All, All right. right, my friends, that's okay. it. We'll see you, Mir maybe next week. Take care, everybody. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 